I mean, I gave you the really condensed version. There's more I could throw in. How does he make it into the Bible? Jacob is the guy who gets his name changed by God to Israel, and he becomes the father of the nation with whom God will work. God should be better at picking people to work with, right? I mean, honestly, what is going on here? Well, here's what's going on here. God is a God who works with broken and dysfunctional people. Now, some people think that you find grace in the New Testament. And the Old Testament God is this God who's angry and he's throwing lightning bolts at people when they sin. And boy, it's just, you better watch out for that God. Not when you read the story of Joseph's family. God takes this broken and dysfunctional family and he makes the nation that will carry his name to the rest of the world. He wasn't looking for perfection. So the tagline of the story, finding your story in God's story. Here's an opportunity to find your story, to find our story in God's story. So how do you approach God? Do you approach God as though he's looking for perfection and it's up to you to make it happen? You see, our world operates on merit, operates on performance, not grace. And so it's really hard to get this concept, our, our mind wrapped around this idea of grace. But this idea of a graceful God is what makes, makes Christianity unique among all other religions. And right here in Genesis, from the very beginning, we start out with a graceful God who works with a dysfunctional family. It's, it's like God places a marker at the very beginning and says, this is who I am. In a world that operates on merit and performance, we have all kinds of ways of managing that, right? I mean, I mean we, we hide our failures. We hide our shortcomings. We, we try to look better than we are so that people will accept us. Do we have to do that kind of management of ourselves with God, or can we just go? I think that if you, if, you, if you think that God operates that way, you will conclude that you need to hide from him. And when we do that, we tend to pick a couple of ways to hide from God. We either keep him at arm's length because we don't think we're good enough for God to get in the mess of our lives, or we try to hide our failures and our struggles from God and everyone else so that we can appear better than we are. We saw that played out in week one of the story with Adam and Eve. Remember what happened there? What happened in the garden as soon as they sinned? They hid. They hid. And all of a sudden, they're afraid. And they have fear and shame. And God has to come the very first time. And say, where are you? And they said, we hid because we were afraid. There's this distance. There's this separation that happens. Well, how about you? Has God been walking around, calling your name and asking, where are you? There's this distance. There's this separation. I've been looking for you. I, I want to walk through your day with you. I, I want to help you with your struggles. I I want to comfort you in your distress. I delight in you. 
where are you? If you're hiding from God, a good chance is that you don't understand who he is. He's a God who takes deceivers and turns them into his own people. He's a God who says our attempts to clean ourselves up in our own ability is like dirty underwear compared to allowing him to take the mess of our lives and clean it up with his power. He's a God who said to a woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. He's the God who told us to forgive 70 times 7. And if we're supposed to forgive that many times, how many times is he going to? If you really understand who God is, how amazing his grace is, and the kinds of people with whom he chooses to work, you would never need to hide. 1 John 4.18 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Back in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve say we hid because we were afraid. And then John, who wrote 1 John, who walked with Jesus, says there is no fear in love. I want want you to take just a minute and watch this short music video that shows this. Maybe it will connect with different people in a different way. Watch this. okay. Yay or nay? Yeah? You got it? All right. She knows 
mistakes you are more than the problems you create you've been remade you are more Joseph, spoiled brat, and he turns him into something great. I'm going to skip forward in the story now quite a ways to Genesis chapter 39. And I'll read starting with verse 6. And I love this part of the story because um, as I read it, you're uh, all going to go, oh my goodness, what is he going to do with this? That's just great. It's good to have a little tension and worried about what I'm going to talk about. I, terrific. Genesis 39, starting, uh, no, yeah, starting with verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. And said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house. She called her household servants. Look she said to them. This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Joseph has already had a couple of twists in the story of his life. His brothers have sold him to slave traders and he has established himself once he got to Egypt as a trusted leader in the home of Potiphar, the captain of the guard. He has a problem though. Potiphar's wife apparently has too much time on her hands. Maybe she's read those Egyptian romance novels and she wanted to be part of one. I don't know, but 
So she tries to get Joseph to sleep with her, and Joseph successfully rebuffs her first advance. But the Bible says, and this is interesting, it says day after day after day she kept coming back, trying to wear him down. Now, imagine how difficult that must have been. This was real temptation. Joseph now was about a 20-year-old young man. He was going undergoing the temptation of his life at this point. Finally, Potiphar's wife corners him and then sets him up. Joseph is unjustly accused, sentenced, and sent to the dungeon. Now, doesn't that just seem like about the worst deal you've ever heard? I mean, Joseph did the right thing, right? He was strong in the face of temptation. Joseph has deceiver as a father but he doesn't deceive potiphar he he stays strong day after day after day he stays strong he makes the right choice shouldn't he get rewarded by god instead of sent to prison chuck swindoll in his book on joseph says if there is ever a time to reward this man joseph reward him now god reward him for saying no day after day Reward him for running instead of yielding. But God doesn't. And Joseph gets sent to the dungeon. Have you ever felt like that? You've worked. You've sacrificed. You've done what God wanted you to do. And what do you get? Life takes a turn in the wrong direction. Why, God? What's going on here? If you have a plan, it certainly doesn't look like it right now. Why does that happen? Why does God seem to reward us with the dungeon sometimes? Well, I'm going to skip the answer to that why for a minute. Sometimes we never get the answers to the why. In Joseph's story, we do. But in plenty of other stories, we never find out. So this morning, you're going to have to wait. Maybe more important than the why is what is happening in the dungeon. I stopped where I stopped on purpose. There is this important verse here in Genesis 39:21 that says, But the Lord was with Joseph there too, and he granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. God is with you in the dungeon times of your life. Things were humming along quite nicely. You thought you had everything all planned out the way you wanted. And then, boom, something came along to mess up your plans. And life took a turn that you didn't anticipate or want. What do you do? You hold on to the fact that God will be with you even in this dungeon. Now, it may not always seem like God is with you in the dungeon, Joseph could have become bitter and angry at God at this point. In fact, while the Bible doesn't say it, let's be real. Joseph was a human being. Unless he was superhuman, he had days where he questioned, where he was angry, where he was bitter, where he grieved the loss of his home and his family and his good job in Potiphar's house. Joseph didn't know what we know about the end of the story. For all he knew, he could spend the rest of his life in that dungeon. But God was faithful, and he was with Joseph in the dungeon. 
If you're in the dungeon days of your life right now, questioning God, grief and anger at times are normal. The, the Psalms show us people who were godly people who still experienced those emotions, but God was still with them. I have recently walked, most of you know, through a dungeon time in my life. I was and still am confident that God called our family to China. We were there following God's will and great things were happening. We were excited about how God was using us. And I still remember the morning. Shar and I were out taking a walk early in the morning uh, around our apartment complex. And Amanda called. And while we were walking and she said, Kevin Bennett called and he wants you to talk he wants to talk to you right away. That sounded ominous. We ran home. I called Kevin. And as I sat there on my bed, I heard Kevin say, "The doctors think I might have cancer." We prayed our hearts out for God to heal Kevin. Our Chinese friends prayed their hearts out for God to heal Kevin. But that summer when we arrived home from China, we had just a few days to spend with Kevin in the ICU before he went home to be with the Lord. How could God do this? Kevin was doing great things for God on the state patrol. We were doing great things for God in China, and it felt like God rewarded us with the dungeon. There were grief, there were questions, there was anger. I have to be honest with you and say that at times it didn't seem as though God was anywhere around. Singing songs in church, there were plenty of Sundays I sat right back there singing songs in church about how great God is and seemed completely empty. There were times when I tried to pray and literally felt repulsed. I didn't want to talk to God. However, I can look back and a year and a half later see that God was indeed with us through that entire time. He was gentle. He was patient. He was patient with my anger. And he was working. Now, back to the question of why. Why does God sometimes reward us with the dungeon? How many times have I heard someone ask, is God punishing me? Well, in Joseph's story, the answer was God is a long-range planner. God's plan for Joseph was to save thousands, maybe millions of lives, and deliver Israel, this family that he wanted to work with, from famine. But Joseph didn't know that. You and I see the immediate. We see right here, right now, right in front of us. We see that we have it good and we're comfortable right now. And so when God starts shifting things around and working on us to accomplish a greater, longer term purpose, all we see is the loss of right here and right now. We get our focus on what we're losing and we say, God, what in the world are you doing? I know that when people say yes, when you're in the dungeon and they say yes, but God has a plan. That can sound pretty hollow at times. But 
God has this amazing view of things. Thing, a, a view that we can never have. God, God not only takes in our whole life, but he, he is able to look at eternity and see what's going on. And that is why faith, that's why trusting God to be who he is is so critical in this Christian life. This light and momentary affliction is gaining for us an eternal weight of glory. But we can't see that far. The Bible's full of people who lost in the immediate. God seems to be focused on something much more significant than our temporary happiness. He's interested in the long term, even eternal good. Our temporary happiness is such a fleeting and fickle thing anyway at times. God is interested in something much more solid, much more permanent. Again, quoting Chuck Swindoll, he says, God has been known to allow unfair treatment to occur in the lives of some absolutely innocent folks for reasons far more profound and deep than they or we could have imagined. How slowly he steps in. There's this popular, among some circles anyway, this popular health and wealth gospel that people have latched onto. And, and, and the danger of that is that when we find ourselves in the dungeon, according to their theology, we have to conclude that God must have abandoned us or we must have done something wrong. But in Joseph's life, Joseph's life neither was true. Joseph did the right thing and it landed him in the dungeon. God was with him and he was in the dungeon because God had a longer term view of things than we have. If you're one of those today that find yourself in a dungeon time of your life, hang on to those few words. I know that there's not a lot you can hang on to at times, so maybe it's just a few words. And these are the few. But the Lord was with Joseph there too. The words of the psalm that we started the service with say it well. I can never ex escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. Would you stand and let's sing one last time the song that we started with today, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest.